Welcome to Grappling with the Gray, a forum for promoting the development of an ethical mindset and ethical decision-making to help us clearly see both sides of complex issues and better navigate the moral challenges of everyday life. I'm Jonathan Goldson, and I'd like to welcome my guests today, Nick Gallo, aka Captain Culture, and the Ethics Evangelist is co-CEO of Compliance Line and host of the podcast, The Ethics Experts. Hello, David. Hello, Nick. Hey. Hey, no, Austin, great to be here. <laughs> David E. Marlowe, a.k.a. the Ikiga, the I, Iki, Iki guy. Iki guy. Yeah. <laughs> you do it for me. Iki guy. Like E, long E. Long E. Key like you unlock your door, guy like this guy. That's right. I got it right when I practice. <laughs> David is president of the Versatile Guru, helping people and companies live into their purpose. And Charlotte Wittenkamp, aka the Bridge Builder, is a cultural counselor, enhancing self-efficiency and promoting empowerment. Thank you all for joining me today. Let's jump right into our ethical scenario for today. This one short and sweet on an episode of House. A patient with a brain tumor suffered frontal lobe disinhibition, which caused him to say every thought that came into his head. He ended up insulting everyone around him, including his wife, who, spoiler alert, left him after discovering what kind of person he really was. So our question for today, was the wife justified in her claim that her husband was not the man she thought he was? The floor is open. I had to, I had to laugh. I watched a bit of the episode in preparation for this. And, and I thought, you know, we keep being told to be our authentic selves. And that guy was like being the most authentic self I'm not sure everybody always wants the full, the full blown authentic self. Um, Cause he was, he wasn't saying anything mean necessarily as much as just what he was thinking. What would, what, and a lot of it was uh, truth that maybe some of them needed to hear. Yeah, yeah. Nobody wants your true authenticity. They want a well curated version of authenticity. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, and I think that's really what this discussion comes down to is we, we should be filtering out some of the things that pop into our heads. I, I, when I was in seminary, there was a fellow there from New York, and I, I said to him once, you know what I like about you? You say everything I think. <laughs> yeah, I think that there's, um, when I first came to the US, uh, you go to the embassy and you swear to say the truth and nothing but the truth, but they don't ask you for the whole truth. And uh, I think actually that's that's an interesting distinction uh, to which this episode <laughs> really points to that we don't want the whole truth, but we don't want to be lied to. So there's the quiet is really a, an interesting space in between. Yeah, and context really makes such a big difference because there are times when omissions of the truth really are deceptive. And there are other times when it's best to withhold information because nothing good is going to come of revealing it. Yeah, sometimes you, you just want to have a good date night. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I find it helpful to remember that, you know, authentic, 
authenticity. Uh, can't, I can say Ikigai, but not authenticity, apparently. Um, and transparency, you know, while it represents the real you, doesn't necessarily mean full disclosure, right? It doesn't mean mm. you have to say everything that's on our, our mind. Yeah, so I would say that she probably was justified. I mean, it sounds like it was accurate. She thought he was this guy and he's this other guy. So if that was because her misconception was wrong or because uh, the veil finally dropped, um, I mean, it's, it's at least accurate. She thought he was a different person than he was due to maybe that filter being in place and her not knowing what he actually thought about things, you know? You know, I, I, I think ahead, that it's, uh, it's general. I mean, how much do we know what anybody's like? Mm. You don't have, the, the question is, do you have uh, to have a brain inhibition to, to get to know another person in the first place? Um, yeah. Uh, and how much do we know what, what we're like? I mean, <laughs> you're listening to this and you're like, okay, what's going through my head? And how much of this don't I want to say for which reasons? Uh, and, and, uh, and I think also, I mean, how much does a woman know what goes on in the man's head? Now well, I'm the only woman in the, but I just want to, you know, we don't. Uh, and and <laughs> not saying that I know what goes on in other women's heads, but there's just there's so much more difference, right? Yeah. So. Sometimes we don't know what's going on in our own heads. Yeah. As, as I'll say it as a man, <laughs> in answer to that question. Yeah, I think he surprised himself. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, I had a friend in college who uh, he said, "What we really need to do is we need to plant microphones in the women's bathroom, so that when we're on dates and they go off into the bathroom together, we can find out what they're really thinking." And you probably don't want to know. I, I, I don't want to know. <laughs> it wouldn't help <laughs> because, as David said, we don't know ourselves very well. But you know, to your point, Nick, um, isn't my good judgment? to know what I ought not say, isn't that part of my true self? Mm. I, I gotta, I mean, I've gotta break in here because what is your good judgment? You know, your good judgment depends on where you are. Mm -hmm. well, your but good also, judgment depends on who you're talking to. But also Janison does have 3000 years of experience here. So he may have a little bit better judgment than us. A little bit of trauma. Well, you know, <laughs> really, I have access to more wisdom. I don't necessarily use it well. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, for all the 3,000 years, he was dealing with people in the Middle East, right? Not with wily Vikings or Native Americans. So, so your good judgment, as good as it may be, might not come across the same way if, if those 3,000 years of writings had been employed somewhere else. Well, I certainly don't know other cultures until we've had a chance to get to know them. One of my uh, neighbors in Israel was on a trip in America and uh, he was staying with a family that was nicely putting him up and they had dinner and they asked him if he'd like a second helping. And he said, uh, no, thank you. I'm fed up. Oh. <laughs> now it made perfect sense to him. Uh, he, he couldn't understand why his hosts seemed to get offended. Um, I can't understand how they could have been so dim as to <laughs> not realize <laughs> that he was just having trouble with the idioms. 
But I mean, what what uh, what man has not contemplated the question from his wife? You know, does this dress make me look fat? Um, does does my the good judgment involves me knowing whether my wife really wants an answer <laughs> to that question? Yeah, right. Um, go ahead. I was just going to say her question. He wasn't the man I married. I you know I'll be married forty years here next month, and I. I hope I'm not the man my wife married. I mean, I'm, I'm much better. Uh, uh, it seems to be working out okay. We're still together. But um, I, I thought about that when my daughter was was dating and, and thought, man, if I had been my father-in-law, would I have let me marry my daughter? I don't know. Not that I was a bad guy, just that, you know, like a lot of, uh, a lot of, I was a teenager when we started dating, but uh, you know, not, not guided very well, not, not looking at life necessarily the best way. And that got refined over time and, and changed and, and don't we all. So, so asking for that standard is a little, a little rough too. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking of that as well. When I, but then I was like, that was not what she said. She said, not, he was not the guy that married. He said, she was not the guy she thought he was, which hopefully has also changed. Although, you know, the nostalgic might, put her back to the guy she married. Mm. Janison, you said, isn't it part of my uh, real self, uh, what I exclude, like what I'm transparent about and what I'm, um, you know, what I hide or what I, or what I don't say. And I don't think it actually is. I think it's largely going to be influenced by like your macro or micro culture and what's like socially acceptable. So I think if you go to other, other countries, there are a lot more for like, you know, there are some European countries, for example, like in a work setting, they're going to be way more sort of direct and forthcoming with feedback that in somewhere like Japan, which has a much more like indirect mm-hmm. culture, um, you know, they say things, you know, a little bit more obtusely or, or whatever. And I don't believe that there's a different sort of sampling of like wired human beings in these different just random geographical areas. I, I would imagine that those interactions are sort of learned over time from being steeped in that, in that, that, that kind of a culture. So I don't think, you know, maybe you're authentic, you know, that's an authentic guardrail or that's an authentic piece of sort of carapace that this armor that we've sort of put over our actual selves um, has become, but I don't think it's our real self. I mean, that's, I wonder if those are kind of two different issues that absolutely the culture that we live in um, should dictate our public behavior as a kind of cultural biofeedback going on there, that we, we should be sensitive to what's acceptable, what's unacceptable. But on the other hand, within my own culture, whether it's my national culture, or my community, my home, there are also those standards and norms and expectations and we also learn to be sensitive to those. Mm-hmm. We all know people that are maybe a little uh, less adept. They, whether it's, yeah. you know, whether it's social clumsiness, I hate the term microaggression um, because I think it, it sort of weaponizes what is just some people being a little less sensitive or a little less adept at picking up social cues yeah, it, it implies an intent, you know? Yeah. So, so this is an illness. How do we feel about illness being a justification for leaving 
a spouse. That's actually a pretty in interesting question because um, it probably is like a function of like the type of, of illness. Like if somebody had a really bad accident, for example, mm -hmm. and they were just like physically debilitated and you left them for that, you would feel like a monster. But I feel like people would probably uh, like understand this a little bit more, <laughs> you know, like on a, like a really base level, like, well, he couldn't shut up. Like he just said everything that he was thinking. How can you blame her? You know? Yeah. Cause I tried to, so my wife has MS, which is a debilitating disease and it never even crossed my mind. Right. So I was thinking about that and it's an illness. It's equivalent. But you said, mm -hmm. uh, my, my wife's illness is not socially embarrassing necessarily. Um, whereas this might be, so is that a fear of judgment? Is that really, uh, instead of it actually bothers me that he talks like this, it's that I worried other people are going to judge me. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that very much depends on what he says to her mm -hmm. that causes her to leap, right? Because you can say, well, you can say something about whether well, those pants look good or not, which is sort of a low kind of, but if, if in his, uh, lack of restraint throws a lot of stuff that has been there all the time it has just not been out mm. then perhaps she's actually better off and she's better off uh so it's not you know the illness per se it is that all this was lurking underneath all the time or for a long while yeah and she just can't handle the truth well, you know, perhaps they're not meant for being together, right? Yeah. Can you say that in Jack Nicholson's voice? <laughs> yeah. I, and that's, it's, it's an interesting point to ponder. Um, you know, don't we, don't we all think things that we choose not to say? Um, I, I've been told that some married couples argue on occasion. And sometimes those arguments may escalate into full-blown fights. And one party or the other or both will say things that may be hurtful. Aren't they saying things that they've been holding in because they felt that they didn't rise to the level of potentially causing strife or or pain or discomfort mm. and it was their desire to overlook issues that were not necessarily that serious but in moments of anger when we start uh, reconnecting with these things on a, on a more uh, primal level we articulate them is that significantly different from what's going on in this case? I think to Charlotte's point though, is like that that's normal and, and true, but what he was thinking was so so hurtful to her that, that the way he thought about her and some of the other things that even, even if you understood we have those things, it was the content of the things that was, mm -hmm. that was troubling to her. You know, I think that 
we were sort of taking it a little bit out of context and saying, what, what does disease do? Because I was, I was thinking, well, we have a similar thing with Alzheimer's, uh, mm-hmm. that, that you kind of lose the person you were married to because that person is gone, right? Uh, we don't know what comes in afterwards, but it's certainly not a person that <laughs> you've been married to for decades, probably at the time, right? Yeah. And, and, and it, you say goodbye twice then, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, and you, would, you be, would anyone be okay with you leaving them? Now, maybe, maybe putting them in care or something like that, but yeah. in that sense, but yeah. Because my father went through it a little bit. My stepmother had a stroke uh, and she survived it. And you wouldn't, if you just talked to her regularly, you wouldn't notice any change in her personality. But if something went wrong, she, she dropped a fork. She would swear like a sailor. And, really? she, and she's never been someone that was prone to swearing before. Wow. And I mean, I was a Marine. I'm telling you what, she she was almost sometimes embarrassed. <laughs> Made you me. blush. Yeah. Yes, yes. So, <laughs> Um, and that just wasn't that just wasn't someone that age yeah yeah right yeah yeah, she was in her 80s at that time and and, uh, again that very much a personality change unlike this but it was it was you know induced by a brain injury and he kind of rolled with it he sometimes would would laugh or something but uh and then she would even realize that she'd said it and kind of go wow and then go on but yeah, you're, you remind me actually of my father when he was slipping into Alzheimer's. <clears throat> he would, um, he started making somewhat off-color jokes. Um, nothing that was <laughs> by today's standards <laughs> really even noticeable, but for him, you know, he was, was a depression era uh, kid who, who really had that sense of old-fashioned chivalry and never swore and he never made those kinds of remarks. And my mother was just sort of surprised that it was so unlike him yeah um and yet you know she had always he had always taken care of her she she left her job and they got married and he was a businessman and he earned the money and she got the house and and that was their relationship and now there's this reversal where she became the caregiver Mm. and she would visit him in in his uh nursing home three times a day Wow, um, and you know she gave she gave presents to the to the nurses uh, to make sure that uh, they would feel a desire to look after him more closely. But the level of devotion that she showed him was extraordinary. Yeah, even when he really was no longer the person he had been, mm. which kind of begs the question again: you know, Who are we? Mm-hmm. Who are you today? Is really the question, probably, huh? Because you can change so much over time, like your body, you know, they say that your all the cells in your body regenerate over like seven years or something. So literally all those cells are different. Yeah. Yeah. That's a more philosophical angle on it. Perhaps you, well, let's you dive in. Your, let's uh, dive in. You want to go to that? <laughs> yeah, I'm kidding. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll come back to that discussion later. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking of how would we fence ourselves or our loved ones in um, in a way that they were not hurting more than they or being hurtful more than they absolutely needed to be in those situations and and, and uh, you know, it comes from to mind for me my one of 
my older relatives, may she rest in peace now, when she saw, noticed that her memory was slipping, oh man, she was a user of post-it notes, you know, it would be everywhere in her house because then she could manage, but she knew that in five minutes, I have no idea that I still need to go to the dentist, right? Um, and, mm. and likewise, you know, if, if you know something, I mean, if I know something is, I'm prone to doing something, then I might have somebody with me who says, you know, you kick me under the table if I'm doing this or, um, and likewise, you know, if the person is, is going out on a free flowing, you know, stopping, why, how would you as a friend or spouse stop them from, from doing that? Right. That I think that's a, the sort of a difference also between, do you know the difference of the thoughts that are appropriate and not appropriate versus do you know to not to just shut up? Can you, can you shut up if you're that person, right? Mm. Yeah, in his case, he didn't seem to be able to, right? I don't know if that's true, would be true for everyone, but um, he, he would say something and then go, oh, I didn't mean that, or I'm sorry I said that, or yeah. like he didn't even realize it. Yeah, and that's, uh, there's another element, and there's, he's, he has regret mm -hmm. that, these, that these remarks are coming out, but he's incapable of stopping. And if I remember the way the episode goes, he, he had surgery to get it fixed, and which was successful, and his wife still left him. Because she just, she, she saw the monster he was, you know? That she perceived him to be, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, you know, this, what I saw was nice, you know, I mean, it was, it was just spewing words, right? But... You know, frontal inhibition could be much worse than that. It could be physically harmful and uh, throwing things around, right? So, I mean, you know, uh, now I have, since I hadn't seen the home, I'm like the home uh, version of of this only the snippet from from uh, ER. Then my thought was that you know he might go party in, in the rose bushes or something that would be embarrassing too but it would not be counter to the diagnosis right mm -hmm. so that's not just well you just keep speaking you might do all kinds of things well that's an interesting yeah. point too if, he, if he's you know if a person loses the ability to not act violently that's a completely different story from losing the capacity to inhibit language. Yes. Now the person is a danger to other people. So even if we say it's not his fault, yeah. he still has to be restrained to some level for, for the protection of himself and others. Yeah. And I think that was the case with the, uh, with the example one, right? With the way back, the guy got the railroad spike in his head mm -hmm. and that was the one they referenced in the episode, but he was yeah. violent he was abusive. And I think in that case, it's like a no brainer. As you just said, Char, it's, it's, you can't have that uh, as even as much as you understand, it's not his fault. I don't know. It seems to be some kind of like some different standard for like 
like the physical thing or the physicality of it, uh, of that example, and the um, the lack of like um, adherence to like the social mores or something. Like, if you think about people in your workplace or people you've worked with in the past who are just really difficult people, or they seem to be, you know, as Yannison said, like socially clumsy. There is such a lower threshold for like of patience for those people I found at least um, than somebody who is maybe, I don't know, whatever, whatever another sort of um, atypical sort of behavior is, or uh, even like a physical trait, you know? Um, yeah. Like, for example, I used to work with a guy who, um, who he, he was like hard of hearing. And like, that was kind of annoying that you always had to repeat things over and over again, or like the conversation had to go slow. I mean, but nobody like would say that and nobody, cause it's not that annoying. It's like, okay, I can understand that. And I, I've worked with another guy who was just like really brutal to work with and he wouldn't pick up on social cues and it was just like painful to be around him. Mm. And there was like just a, you know, like a much more widespread <laughs> annoyance with the second guy than, than the first guy, you know? Yeah. It's like, why can't you wrap your head around, you know, reading the room or seeing the inference or, um, I don't know, it's, it's kind of an interesting dynamic. You know, I think what, what often it comes down to is, does that person know that this is a problem? If the person says, I can't hear you, could you please repeat? Okay, I own that I have a part of the problem. If the person says, I have Asperger's, so I don't pick up your social cues. Could you please assist me? Then you might not have a problem the same way as somebody who just thinks that he's right all the time. Or how? Okay, so let's let's throw this in there. I'm just blunt. I'm just blunt. I don't have time for all of that. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to there, be real. There's no name for that. There, there's no, no name for that other than like jerk <laughs> or <laughs> or arrogant or something. You know what I'm saying? Yes, but I'm, what I'm saying is that if he says, I know I have this problem, please help me, then suddenly you have a different level of compassion for his shortcomings. Maybe. Because okay. he owns his own um, whatever it is that he knows. It. No, like, like I say, you know, I'm not American. If I step on your toes, then, then you know, if I say I'm fed up or something, it might be something else. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's something we touched on earlier. I mean, if, if you take your typical, or let's say your stereotypical New Yorker, and, and you drop them in my neighborhood in the Midwest, um, there might be some chafing there. <laughs> now, the, the, the kind of behavior that's absolutely appropriate in one community can be very much inappropriate. And if I don't have the experience, the worldliness to recognize that people in other places have very different social norms, um, I really can be, um, as you say, Nick, a jerk. Uh, when in my mind, I'm just being what is normal. Right, right. I think it very much hangs on the the visibility of our own lens. You know, if you, if mm -hmm. I, if I know that I'm seeing this through a cultural lens or a class lens or a national lens or a whatever, 
disability lens, then I, then I know that I'm skewed. But if I don't, if I plant my New Yorker in the Jonasson's neighborhood and nobody around him knows that they are skewed towards one kind of social interaction or another, then the, the break of the breach of the norm becomes offensive. Whereas if you know, you know, this is not how we are, but it's not ill intended. Hey, it's just, you know, I wonder what it's like to go to New York, right? Mm -hmm. So if he had a button or something that said, you know, I have disassociated, whatever you say, the, yeah. the issue, uh, and people could see it and read that, and I'm going to say offensive things or something, what, what would be our response then? I mean, like, would it be different? I think maybe it would be, I don't know. I think what we probably Tourette's still would not like to hear what he has to say, but we might have compassion for the situation in a different way. Oh, yeah. Threats is an interesting yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, we get into that in the next, uh, in the next uh, segment. Um, we're about out of time for this segment, but there, there is this um, sort of peculiar balance that we want to be sensitive to other people. We want other people to be sensitive to us. And yet there may be all kinds of variables that mm -hmm. make it more difficult for us to summon or show that kind of sensitivity. And navigating around all those variables is, is awfully complicated. So um, could, you, uh, could I ask each of you to maybe to give us a final thought and then we'll wrap up this segment. David, you would like to start? Sure. Yeah, I think, uh, as, as you just alluded to, some of this is, is conditional and, and it's around what's, what's the problem? How do we know it? I, I struggled with, uh, throughout this, uh, trying not to judge her because I wouldn't do that same thing. And yet understanding that different people react different ways and the pressures. And so uh, I don't know if I have a summary comment as much as uh, I'm, st I'm still at a point where I'm not quite sure how I feel about her leaving him. <laughs> Charlotte? Yeah, I'm, I'm sitting with compassion for everybody. I would say probably except the TV producers, but that's for the next second. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. Um, I don't know. I think my final thought is I'm just trying to be a little bit more patient and try to cut people a little bit more slack uh, just in general. And that's a little bit easier said than done because I find myself getting frustrated or losing patience or whatever. And sometimes it's, they don't know, or they have Asperger's or something like that, or they're just a jerk or whatever. And it's usually rooted many times in sort of an insecurity that somebody has. And that's maybe something that they can't control due to something that they've been through. Right. So at some level, as you boil it down enough, it's, you know, it's all kind of the same. And one of the fundamental principles of, of Judaism is to give the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. And, and the, the language in Hebrew is to judge every person on the side of merit, but it can also be read to judge the whole person on the mm. side of merit. And we often don't know the whole person. No, you don't. And then, you know, even as David said earlier, we don't even know ourselves fully because we don't recognize all the forces that have shaped us into who we Correct. are. Correct. And so we want people to show us grace and, and, and judge us favorably. 
And um, it, it's worth making that extra effort, as you mentioned, Nick, to, uh, um, to try to do the same. Yeah, and also it's not easy for anybody, right? <laughs> right. We can talk about this some more. Like nobody gets to the their deathbed and they're like, that was easy. I just <laughs> skated through that. Like it's hard for everybody, you know, and it's hard in different ways, you know? Yeah. So plenty more for us to talk about. Um, but thank you, uh, David, Charlotte, and Nick. Uh, hope you will come back for another, uh, another episode. Uh, for those who are watching and listening, if you'd like to suggest an ethical scenario or dilemma for discussion, please go to my website, unisongoldson.com and use the, um, use the contact box to submit a proposal. We may use your suggestion on the program. If you are a grappling with the gray member, then you have access to the follow-up Q&A by going to the community uh, feed and using the community link. If you're not a member, please go to gwtg.live. That's gwtg.live. We can sign up for a free 30-day trial and enjoy member benefits. Please join us again for our next installment as our panelists grapple with the gray. Goodbye.